Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Shortly, we're going to continue the conversation as it relates to a really, really critical flood insurance issue that is that is uh, smoldering in a very big way for coastal Mississippi. We had Frank Bordeaux, uh, local insurance executive on um, Monday to talk about, we spent a whole hour talking about the history of the situation and really kind of breaking it all down. Um, and then yesterday had Bill Lavers from the Harrison County Economic Development uh, uh, Commission, and we talked about it uh, from a, from an economic development point of view, and just generally just reviewed some of the high points from my conversation with uh, Frank. And then shortly, I'm going to have Ashley Edwards join me, and we're going to continue that part of the conversation. I wanted to share something with you. Actually, one of the things I do when I have a guest, especially a guest that's come on repeatedly, like Ashley Edwards has, uh, he's been a terrific regular guest here on Coast View because he has, he's very, first of all, he's smart as hell, but, but he understands strategic management of a region and the kind of things we need to be thinking about, et cetera. And uh, I just go back and look at some of my notes from past conversations. I, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise you to learn because I'd run newspapers my whole career that I have a pretty extensive note uh note system <laughs> and uh, it's very organized so I can pull most things up within a matter of seconds and and you know modern technology enables that but one of the things I ran across was a, a quote that my friend Stacy Waldrop who I repeat each time I mention her name that she's one of the most positive people I know it's a quote from Josh Ship that I shared on a conversation with Ashley, it's been some time ago, actually. I don't, I didn't capture the date, but I thought it was worthy of repeating. And here's what Josh Ship said. And by the way, it came from Mindful Christianity. <clears throat> you either get bitter or you get better. It's that simple. You either take what has been dealt you and allow it to make you a better person, or you allow it to tear you down. The choice does not belong to fate. It belongs to you. You know, I, I, I reflect on that, and I, I really believe that it's true, that I've often said, and I've known this personally, certainly this is the way I reached whatever level of success I was able to reach in my life, that we control our own destiny. At the end of the day, we control our own destiny, and often our destiny is controlled by the people that we choose to have around us, uh, whether we're going to allow negative people to be around us or whether we're going to have uh, positive influence in our life. It's ultimately up to us. It's up to you. Uh, not fate. It's not about fate. It's literally up to you. And uh, so I thought that what what Stacy uh, uh, posted back. I mean, this probably been six months ago. I just thought it was uh, it was really good. And we we don't we often don't make the right the right choices. So let let's let me say this. Let me read it again. You either get bitter or you get better. It's that simple. You either take what has been dealt you and allow it to make you a better person, or you allow it to tear you down. The choice does not belong to fate. It belongs to you. Never forget you control your own destiny. I can't, I can't repeat that enough. It's uh, sort of up to us, isn't it? Okay, now let's shift gears and move on to my friend, Ashley Edwards, the CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. And as I mentioned, someone who's been on the show so many times I have lost count, but it's, been, uh, it's good to visit with you. I haven't visited with you in a while, Ashley. It has been a while. Good to see you, Ricky. 
How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you. And happy new year to you. It's the first time we've talked since the new year. It is. It is. I'm, I'm, I can't believe it. And I was, uh, I had, I did my outdoor show yesterday. I'm really enjoying that just once a week on Super Talk, uh, the, the network across the state of Mississippi, Super Talk Outdoors. And, uh, and I, I said, you know, it's uh, January the 17th. And it hit me, you know, but by the way, we're pre-recording this show because of the, your availability and my availability. And, uh, but I, you know, I thought, man, January is flying by, man. There's no rest for the weary, is there? There isn't, you know, and it's, it seems like we've kind of hit, hit winter finally. It was warm through most of the beginning of January. And, and now we've had these, these few cute cool snaps come through. So it's, uh, it definitely feels like January now. You know, it, you know, this past weekend, I had a long weekend up at the camp, and uh, Keith Williams and his dad, Keith Williams Sr., joined us, and they had Brody, uh, Keith Sr., and my grandson. And I, I, you know, I watched them in the morning so they could go hunt. And uh, But Brody likes to hunt, by the way. Brody, Brody would go out and be quiet and sit in a deer stand, and, and it's quite amazing, actually, for I think he's four years old. I mean, it's just amazing that he's so, so quiet. But, you know, we woke up to snow and went out and made a snowman and we threw snowballs at each other. And, you know, gosh, it was so, I, I mentioned on my show, incidentally, that uh, it was beautiful for a while. <laughs> but once it was over, it was a muddy mess, you know, in the Mississippi Delta, which I know you've been to before. When, when man, when it's slick and mushy outside, it's uh, it's it's quite dangerous. I almost got stuck a couple of times, and my friend Mark Creech did get stuck, and literally had just said he's the one person I trust in this in this mud, and and just as I said that, I get a call up at our Minter City farm. He had he had gotten stuck in a ditch, and Jake Carter had to go had to go rescue him, but. Man, oh man, it was fun though. It was beautiful and look out up in the, up in the hills and see all those white trees and and whatever. Um, but it's been a weird winter, man. I mean, it's been you know we've we've hunted in you know over seventy degree weather, yeah. And uh, finally, we're getting a little cold blast here in coastal Mississippi, which is you know it's kind of uh, the changing of the of the seasons really finally in, in that in that way. Um, actually, tell me what we're going to talk about. The uh, the flood insurance issue yeah. uh, in pretty much detail here shortly, but what's going on as you enter the new year outside of the flood insurance issue? What what's going on with you guys at the business council as you get ready get ready to tackle this year? Well, you know, ironically, here we are starting off 2022 right back in the middle of another pandemic surge, and you know this has been sort of the number one. Uh, economic disruptor that we've had to deal with these last two years. And, you know, of course, I guess we're learning the hard way here never to think that that this is behind us. But really, you know, I truly believed after the Delta surge in the late summer, early fall, um, that that was it and that we would start to see some smooth sailing. Um, despite it, business has been strong. It's been really good. You know, the, the bigger issue that we're having and sort of this part of the pandemic as compared to early on is that um, we're not seeing 
well, I shouldn't say we're not seeing, but we're not seeing to nearly the same extent the disruption in visitation. Um, you know, we're sort of off season now anyway, but what we are seeing, especially with this, with Omicron, is tremendous workforce impacts. Uh, you know, people calling out of work left and right, inability to, to get shifts going because there's so many people out sick. So, so that's been an issue, obviously. And, you know, the number one question kind of remains is, you know, which is, is this, is this going to be uh, sort of the last big whimper of this pandemic? And, you know, will this finally be the year when we start to return to some normalcy? Uh, I'll tell you, if we do in 2022, uh, the type of numbers economically that we saw in 2021, it'll be a great year. And I think we have a chance to do even better in 22. So, uh, you know, a lot of positivity, a very good outlook to start this year, 2022. Uh, but on the same note, you know, this same kind of uncertainty that's that's such a killer in business, just this uh, continuing pandemic and, and the fact that we just can't quite get get past it. Well, I've had the opportunity, Dr. Conger, uh, from Nick Nick uh, Conger from uh, from the uh, Memorial Hospital. He's an infectious disease doctor. You and I have talked about him many times. Yeah. Been on the show many times. In fact, he had to cancel the show. We had a show scheduled. I think it was last week. For the first time during the pandemic, he had to cancel because of shortages that he was facing within his team. And you know, it's uh, yeah, you know, but he said right off the bat, he said from the very beginning because he specialized in this, and this this agrees with what the national uh, experts are saying and what the experience has been in other other countries that are ahead of us on the Omicron, and that is that with each iteration, it will get more contagious and maybe less severe. And certainly, that's the case with Omicron, five, four times more contagious, and uh, and certainly less severe. But again, if you don't have the vaccine, the, once again, the impact is uh, could be significant. It's not as significant as Delta, but here's the deal. Hospitals across the state are overwhelmed right now. A friend of mine up in the Delta um, had a heart attack. Um, he, they didn't even have a room in Greenwood for him to be in. They didn't have a room in Oxford for him to be in. They didn't have a room in Jackson for him to be in. They had to actually transport him to Hattiesburg from, from the Delta. Uh, because of so many hospitalizations, and the majority of the hospitalizations are the are unvaccinated, um, so you know it's uh, it's on us. But the hope hope is, and that's certainly what we're experiencing now is that it's going to burn through rapidly. We're seeing the Northeast is already beginning to see that, and that hopefully we'll all get to the peak quickly. The peak being very significant here in Mississippi, and then. Hopefully on the other side of this, things will, will, will sort to peter out. But the reality is we don't know what's coming next. It seems like just yesterday we heard that this, this thing called Omicron, and before we knew it, it, was, it already kind of spread across the United States like a wildfire. Hey, when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll close out any, conver- you know, any open issues as it relates to the pandemic, and then we'll find out what else they're thinking about at the Business Council. We'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have Ashley Edwards, who's the CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. When we went to break, we were just talking about the lingering impacts on, on sort of the economic situation as it relates to the pandemic. You know, Ashley, one of the things that really is for sure. <laughs> and, and you know what? With each passing day, I read another story about it. I, I have I sign up for a bunch of different newsletters, a lot of aggregators. And so I get tons of different news about technology, business, just you know, world news, national. Every morning I, I work through those, those stories. And there are a growing number of stories. And I've talked about this before. You and I have talked about this as well. But there's a growing number of stories that talk about the nature of work pre-pandemic will never be there again. We've learned new ways to do things. And, you know, even if, even if there was a, even if a company was sort of thinking, okay, we want to go back to where we were, they have now built into their cost structure, most of them being publicly owned companies. Even the private companies have to think in this way because they've got bankers and others to answer to. They've had, they built the, the, the reduced travel, the fact that they don't have to house every single person in, a, in one centralized office anymore. They've used technology to become much more efficient. You know, we were already seeing as part of the new economy a, a, a growing emergence of remote work. We, we were talking about that before the pandemic. But now look at where we are. I mean, literally, it sped up all those trends and we are not going back. And there has been countless stories written about how companies will literally never go back. They're going to be in some kind of quasi mode. And and by the way, when you saw the peak of um, of Omicron begin to happen, look how many national on the national news immediately just flipped the button and went back to doing yep. remote, you know, remote assignments and you know remote TV shows and all of that. Uh, look how quick they were able to turn on the dime. But that's just the way it's going to be from now on, isn't it? It is. I mean, you th- and you think about it from the perspective of of a business owner or a board of directors. You know, the the ability to have a contingency in place that ensures complete continuity of operations to, to your point where you can basically flip a switch and, you know, and, and get people out of the office, get them working from home. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. But to, to, you know, no doubt about it, this has accelerated the adoption of those changes that were already starting to happen to the extent that. You know, a lot of businesses look at it now and say, why do we want to continue to have the overhead of uh, of all this real estate and office space uh, when we've proven and, you know, in many cases found that they've actually created efficiencies uh, by doing this? Uh, you know, there's there's a tremendous number of changes that have taken place uh, in the workforce. I mean, you know, we saw kind of in August, September, October of last year what they're calling the Great Resignation when you had about 3% of the American workforce that left their jobs, which is absolutely incredible. Um, uh, you know, a, a big part of that, I think you and I have talked about this once before, and it's something that that I think a, a lot of the stories about this really, they kind of miss or, or maybe gloss over. And that is, you know, this is not all just millennials who are looking for greater flexibility. One, you know, one and a half percent of the American workforce, so half of those that left their job were baby boomers who retired. So they, they left the workforce altogether. Um, and over the next year or two, we're going to see 
the largest out migration from the workforce because of the baby boomers who are either reaching retirement age or who have delayed retirement are going to go ahead and take that retirement. Um, it, it will be a seismic shift in the American workforce. Um, you, you kind of put that on top of what we're seeing with these other changes and, you know, these workforce issues, which any economic developer will tell you are already the biggest issues that we face in Mississippi are only going to be that much more under a microscope than they have been. And so, you know, I don't think you can say enough uh, about the changes that are occurring. You know, I, I've talked to some local manufacturers, for example, uh, and they've said that, you know, uh, you know, our workforce here is known really for being a, a, a very good, loyal, long-time workforce. A lot of these companies have had people that have been there 25, 30 years. But there are some of these manufacturers that are they're looking at losing half of their overall payroll over the next couple of years to retirements um, and then having to look at replacing those folks. And so, you know, to, to the question you asked earlier, what are the types of things that have been on our mind at the Business Council? Um, that's another one, and, and I'll be honest with you, one that really kind of keeps us up at night because, you know, we've got to get a talent attraction strategy and a workforce strategy in place, uh, not only to sort of fill the need that we have uh, for workforce, you know, that, that would have already been in place, but also to fill the need uh, or the needs that have been created by the pandemic and all these sort of shifts that we're seeing. Uh, you know, my good friends that that work in the hospital business and the healthcare industry, they are really under the gun. The nursing shortages they're having. Uh, I mean, these things are, these are, they ought to keep everybody up at night because, uh, you know, these things really affect the competitiveness of a region. And so uh, that's something that we're going to be putting a lot of time and effort into this year, which is this kind of question about workforce talent attraction and uh, and really sort of backfilling the workforce to be able to deal with some of these labor issues that uh, that we're seeing. Some caused by the pandemic and some just caused by the natural evolution of of the demographics of uh, of our workforce. Yeah, the, the natural demographics of the workforce uh, was a trend, but as we learned after Katrina that uh, trends that were in place before the disaster, so to speak, pandemic, certainly a disaster, it's just going to speed them up. And, and yep. the use of technology and here's the other thing, people, what people got, and, and, and I'm not talking about any specific company, but what, what people got in the, in the wake of the pandemic was a great understanding of their company. Okay. Yep. In some cases, they were incredibly pleased with what they saw, the loyalty to their employees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In some cases, they didn't like what they saw. They, they didn't like they didn't like what they were getting paid. They didn't like the benefits they were getting. They didn't like the fact that the moment something happened, they got laid off. And let me say this, not every company can keep their employees on. I get that 100%. But when you add it all together, and, and you look at the study that was done literally around the world, Ashley, that said 40% of current employees around the world are considering changing jobs. 40%, yeah. man. You add that to everything you just said. And it is dynamic, and people have to care more for their employees than they ever did before, and they've got to be aware of market pay more than they ever were before, and they've got to get, got to be more focused on the actual person and make sure they understand they care about them and that they're part of this team and they're doing something important. And Because at the end of the day, people don't necessarily leave companies. You know that. 
they, they lead their boss. Something yeah. about their boss they didn't like, and uh, and they and they leave. It's been a time for reflection, man. And the biggest issue that I see is that when you if you just look at our state legislature, certainly on the national scale, there's so much noise, and we'll come back to that in a second. But there's so many issues to deal with. It's yeah. hard to get your arms around all of these things, and. I personally don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, just so much to talk about. Now, what I what I do hear is that when you th when I talk to the Speaker of the House and the Lieutenant Governor, and I see from what the Governor is saying, they are all very, very, very focused, and I think considerably aligned around the issue of workforce. I mean, do you, I mean they may disagree on other things, but they don't disagree on this issue, do they? No, I mean, I think it sticks out like a sore thumb in public policy. I mean, I think that really you know, two, two and a half years ago, uh, the speaker had a, a session up in Jackson that I got invited to. And he, they were talking about workforce then. That was pre-pandemic. Um, you know, it, it's a huge issue. I think they all understand that. And, you know, um, it, it is probably the number one issue facing our state when you sort, sort of, you know, sort of go through all the various issues that are out there. This workforce issue is probably the number one issue facing our state. Uh, there's there's no question that we have to completely redefine what normal means because yeah. the, the next decade ahead is going to look nothing like the decade behind. Um, you know, we're going through another industrial revolution right now. Um, the only difference is this industrial revolution is going to happen in a fraction of the time that the other ones happened. Uh, and when we come out the other end of it, our modern life, our modern economy is going to look completely different than anything that we've ever known before. And you know what? The average person, gosh, man, the average person is just worrying about getting, making ends meet. You know, there's so many, whether it's the pandemic or changing the economy or this new industrial re re revolution or whatever it might be. It's hard to focus on these things because there's just so many competing objectives. And, I, and I, f I feel for our leaders, incidentally, because, good Lord, there's just so much to focus on. I mean, I've, I've referred to this current state, Mississippi state legislative session, as one of the most consequential in, in our history, actually. It may be that important because of the amount of money they got to worry about, the kind of issues that they're focused on, and hopefully they can come to, to grips. Okay, we're going to shift gears. Speaking of noise, on the national level, there's so much noise. How in the world are we ever going to get the attention that we need to get the reprieve we need on the flood insurance issues that are that are upon us at this moment? When we come back after the break, Ashley and I are going to talk about why this is an incredibly important conversation. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews, brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. I have Ashley Edwards from the Coast of Business Council with me. 
and uh, he's the CEO there, regular here on Coast View. Now we're going to shift gears and talk about the flood insurance program and challenges that we face in Mississippi. And I want to just tell you, in September of last year, uh, the current iter- or the the most the former iteration of the flood insurance program actually expired. Yes. And I, on October the first, it started to apply to new policy holder, uh, holders, and 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 in April the first of this year. As, as policies begin to renew, there are going to be some big surprises for coastal Mississippi. Uh, the new program is called uh, the Flood Risk Rating 2.0. And uh, if you're a regular listener to Coastal, you've heard me twice this week sort of set it up. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to let Ashley set it up and, uh, and give it give it from his perspective what he believes the impact on coastal Mississippi is going to be and what some of the what some of the basics of the changes are. And then I'll fill in the blanks and we'll talk about it through the rest of the show, why this is important to you and why you better pay attention to it and why we better get a reprieve. OK, Ashley, why don't you pick it up from there? Well, super important issue. I'm glad that you have have put the attention you've put on it, Ricky. Uh, it's something that most people have not heard a lot about. And, you know, you can kind of trace the history back, you know, really go all the way back to Katrina and kind of some of the things that were happening in Congress after that. You know, there has been a big push in Congress to try to create a, an actuarially sound flood insurance program. So what essentially United States wants to do is they don't want to subsidize federal flood insurance anymore. And over time, you've had a, a number of things that have happened. You know, one is we have seen the number of, of tropical systems, of, of flood systems, of inland flood systems uh, increase to the extent that there's been a lot of pressure in, in terms of claims back on the program. Number two, we've seen reinsurance get much more difficult because, you know, federal flood insurance program, they go out and and buy reinsurance, whether it's, you know, Lloyd's of London or, or someone like that. There are lots of reinsurers out there that are essentially insuring the insurer. And that has been harder to get. That's become more expensive. And so, you know, this latest iteration, this flood rating system 2.0, as they call it, um, it's something that's been on our radar for some time. Um, and, and frankly, part of the, the controversy and part of the problem here is that it was sort of billed as being, I don't want to say not a big deal, but, you know, if, if you sort of took FEMA's word for it, it was, well, you should not see any real j- drastic changes as a result of this. Well, that's not what the folks from the industry are seeing when they go through and do these calculations. And so uh, in this part of the country, especially, um, you know, really from Louisiana on over the Mississippi Gulf Coast, Alabama, you know, we, we're one of the, in fact, we are the second most flood prone uh, coastline in the United States behind only the Big Bend area of Florida. And we are much more populated than that Big Bend area of Florida is. So with that in mind, our risk is substantial here and is actually higher than any other coastline in the United States. And uh, and as a result of that, this is a, a, a really an issue that we've got to take very seriously. There's been a lot of discussions going on uh, with sort of state governments and, and congressional representatives from our part of the country. Um, but, you know, you, it's, it's sort of running up against this issue that you that you often see in Washington, which is, well, you know, we're going to to figure out a way to pull money out of the flood insurance program and pass the risk back on to the rate payer. 
Um, and, you know, that could devastate coastal communities. I mean, uh, you know, w there, there's no one that lives in coastal Mississippi that has lived here since Hurricane Katrina that is not well aware of the issues that insurance has caused in our rebuilding uh, of homes and our rebuilding of businesses. And the last thing that we need on top of economic disruption after economic disruption after hurricane after oil spill is now getting into a situation where flood insurance becomes either a unaffordable or b uh, impossible to get for some people and you know th that that is uh th that is one of the biggest issues that we face without a question and again i heard i saw your your shows uh when you talked about this and i'm glad you spent as much time on it as you did uh because i think that really absent what you've been talking about with this issue uh it's not something that a lot of people here on the coast have probably heard about or are, are read in local newspapers or are seen in local media. There's got to be a better approach. I mean, w there's no one arguing the fact that increased number of disasters has put incredible pressure on the National Flood Insurance Program. We all know that. I mean, I think one of the numbers I shared was by the end of 2017, the debt was $24 billion. But between yeah. the years 1996 and I think 2019, 99% of the counties in the entire U.S., had had some type of flood event. So it's yeah. not just a coastal event. But why this is important to us, there's a swirl here, and we're going to really get to the bottom of it, but the, the one thing that they're doing, in addition to everything Ashley just said, they're changing the way they assess risk into four different categories. We'll come back to that in a second. But they're also eliminating the grandfather clause. That's right. And Ashley, the federal government made a pact with us after Hurricane right. Katrina. If you don't have 50% damage, you can rebuild and you don't have to raise your home. How can they renege on that on that commitment? Well, I, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, the, the fight that we fought in the early days after Katrina, which you remember so well, was, and the reason, for example, that we were able to do the homeowners grants uh, for people that were flooded with that sort of wind versus water debate, you know, as we went back to the federal government and we said, look, it is the federal government's job to create the flood insurance rate maps. It is the federal government's job to determine the relative flood risk for properties. And and they, they knew at the time that Katrina hit that those flood maps were wrong. They knew that there was flood risk in areas where people were not required to have flood insurance. So we were able to successfully argue, when I say we, I'm really talking about Governor Barr and, and the state of Mississippi were able to successfully argue to the federal government, to Congress, uh, look, you ought to make us whole as a result of the fact that people relied to, to their own detriment on the determinations of the federal government. And to your point, at that time, there was this sort of 50% rule. If you're under 50% damaged, you know, you can, you can rebuild, you don't have to elevate, um, and you'll be grandfathered in. You know, if that happens... Uh, and they're allowed to go back on that, uh, you're going to have uh, structures that essentially become uninhabitable uh, because, number one, you won't be able to get a mortgage on it uh, without the backing. If, you, you know, if, if it's eligible for flood insurance, um, it's almost impossible to go out on the private market and buy flood insurance uh, for structures like that at a rate. Uh, you know, I, I was looking at some flood insurance for a for a, a, a commercial property not long ago, and the flood insurance out there on the on the private market that they were wanting to charge for that cost as much as the mortgage on the building for the year. I mean, it's just unbelievable some of those rates. And so, um, 
this this is something that we almost you know you, you hate to look at any situation and say we you know we can't lose this one but this is about as close to a can't lose situation uh we almost might have to go tie tie ourselves to the uh to the pillars at the capitol because uh this could be devastating for us okay so here <clears throat> there's another huge fallacy we get penalized because katrina hit us right. if katrina had hit tampa Tampa would be penalized. And what I mean by penalized, the calculations for that most recent disaster event then go into the modeling That's of right. determining where the flood risk is. And in the case of Katrina, the highest storm surge in American history required us to rebuild at levels that were unheard of in America, frankly, right. at the time. And so what, what's, what's happened now is since so many thousands of coastal Mississippians rebuilt because they did not have more than 50% damage, they were just trying to get back in their homes. And the federal government made a promise to them to rebuild and, and you'll be grandfathered in to now drop that after they made a decision based on the word they got from the federal government. Actually, I don't, I don't, I see the notes, I, I've read the letters and I see the concern and whatever, but I don't see our, our, our Mississippi delegation in Washington screaming loud enough about this. I, I don't see that. I don't see them, you know, passionately focused on this issue the way they need to. I've I, I read the letters. I see the statements. I get that, but they're not screaming. And there's so much noise on the national level. If we don't scream, we're going to be in trouble. I'm, I'm looking at what Marco Rubio and other representatives are doing in Florida. Five million policies in America. Two million of these are in Florida. That's right. And they're they're screaming, and you can you can't hear them. You can't hear their voices because, as my friend Al, uh, uh, Alberto Ibarguen says, there's so much noise on the national level. It's hard to sort through it. I worry that we're not going to get the reprieve we we need, and that we're just going to be, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, unnecessary byproduct. You know, the impact on our economy is going to be unnecessary byproduct of FEMA's now unilateral position, you know, to become actuarially sound. Um, they've got to find a better way, and I pray that we find a reprieve. This is going to be very serious for us. Yes. I, I worry about it as well, Ricky. I mean, it, it, I think it's a, an issue that we ought to be worried about. Um, you know, I've had some phone calls with governor's offices from the folks in, in Louisiana and Alabama. You know, there, there are a lot of folks talking about this, but, but to your point, with the national political climate we have right now, it is very, very difficult for anybody to hear over the noise. Uh, Let's come back. Time. Let's come back in the final segment and uh, share uh, so, some of the, some of how they're going to determine what the risk is. It's, it's very different than the way it was before. The grandfather clause being very, very, very significant. The rates being very, very, very significant. And how they determine those rates being very significant. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Ashley Edwards. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Ashley Edwards, CEO of the Coast Business Council. We're talking about the flood insurance issue. Ashley, before we go any further, I just want to bring people's attention to the Super Talk uh, Gulf Coast 103.1 
uh, this is the channel we're on now, the the Facebook page for this for this show. Of course, you can go to Coastview uh, slash Ricky Matthews Facebook page. You can go to the Super Talk Mississippi Facebook page. You can go to the Super Talk Mississippi YouTube page. Or you can go to your favorite podcast. Okay, the point is the show's available in so many different forms. If you're listening to this on the radio and you're not typically engaged with this show in social media, I would strongly recommend you go grab these shows off of whatever your best technology, whether it's a podcast, YouTube, or Facebook, and share it with your family and friends. Share it with anyone who might who might be impacted by these changes because, you know, if this, I described this the other day, Ashley, as sort of like the, the frog boiling in water. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, it, we were having conversations before Katrina, Katrina put it on steroids, but it's been a slow ball and now it's boiling and most people don't even realize it yet. And they're going to get hit at some point over the next year in a very significant way. We've got to slow this thing down. We've got, I don't know what, I really don't understand I know April 1st is when it goes starts starts to it doesn't immediately go into effect on April 1st starts to go into effect. They did us a favor. They tapped they they capped the 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 in, annual increases at 18% and as you pointed out business is 25%. But the reality is you think about the the uh, snowballing effect of that over several years. Yeah. Uh, that's not good. I mean, and listen, and, and with inflation, man, and the pandemic and all the other things people are having to deal with, we don't need this now. We need a reprieve. How do you see this playing out? Well, look, I do think that the the, the volume will get turned up um, the farther we get into it. I mean, as you and I talked about earlier the 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 worry is that there's so much noise right now in national politics. I mean, there, you know, an issue like this in in the years after Hurricane Katrina, with the the impacts that had happened with Katrina and Rita, you know, we had the nation's attention, which we don't have anymore, and uh, and that that's that's difficult. Um, you know, the irony of this, Ricky, is you think about all the, the time and energy and effort that was spent in those years after Hurricane Katrina having to deal with the wind insurance rate issues and trying to figure out a way to get wind insurance in, in such a place that, you know, it wouldn't price everybody out of the market. Um, and we were pretty successful with that. I mean, you know, uh, wind insurance, I mean, it's not cheap. You know, no one would would argue that, that the rates have just been hunky-dory, but uh, certainly compared to what could have happened, we were able to get wind insurance in a, in a position um, either through the state wind pool or even through getting new, uh, you know, private insurers in the market, um, that 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 was that, that did not become a complete killer in our economy, and you know here we are now with with flood insurance in this situation. So, um, you know, people ask me all the time, what's been the biggest issue on the coast since Katrina? And my first answer, without hesitation, is insurance. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no question, I, insurance. When you when you lump everything in, insurance has been the hardest thing for us to overcome since Katrina hit uh, 17 years ago. But when you look at the population of America that is living within 100 miles of a coastline, yep. you cannot cram this down people's throats. You can't. Yep. It's the economic impact is going to be too great. And, um, I, I, you know, do you counter noise with noise? You know, I, I think you counter noise with leadership, you know, you know, you fight fire with facts 
and you just we just need our leaders to get really focused on this because if they don't, if they don't, and we fail at getting some type of reprieve by just capping increases at eighteen percent, buddy, that's not a reprieve. Right. And and no, as no. long as long as what goes forward is eliminating the grandfather clause, that in itself for coastal Mississippi is a I just can't tell you how devastating it is. I just look inside my family and look at the number of people who are going to be impacted by it. Um, and the sad thing about it is I don't even really understand. Okay, so they're not grandfathered any longer. What does that mean now? They get no insurance? Yeah. I mean, what what does that yeah. mean? I, I think I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, I've heard I've heard the the, the cap referred to as a reprieve and uh, you know that that's not a reprieve. I mean that that you know that there's nothing even remotely sustainable uh, about those numbers. I mean that's like the doctor saying, "Well, you know, good news, we gave you a reprieve. We thought we we're going to have to cut your arm off, but instead uh, we went ahead and cut both your hands off." I mean it just you know it doesn't. And I'm not and I'm not going to say I'm not going to name a name, but 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 I think the letter you're referring to came from a representative from Mississippi. As if, okay, oh, everything's going to be better because there's going to only be 18% a year for the next, you know, 10 years. What do you get? Are you kidding me? That's not acceptable. That's a really, really bad answer, actually. I mean, I don't see, I don't see the, the, the anger with the federal government. I mean, I, I don't see the, the, you know, just the dogged determination, the tenacity to say this is not, can't stand. This can't stand. That's what that needs to be. Let, let's just be pragmatic about it. I mean, you made this point earlier. When you look at the population demographic shifts in the United States, people are continuing to move towards the coastlines. Um, the risk, the risk in the, at coastlines is not going down; it's going up. The the, the federal government's got to go back to the drawing board. Uh, this is an issue that is going to have to be solved, uh, not just for our area, but for for the rest of the United States. And it's it's not going away. Ashley Edwards, CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, thanks for taking time to join me. We'll be talking more about this one in the future. Go to the Facebook page or YouTube page and get these shows and share them with your friends. See you later. Thank you, Ricky. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.